All right. How many guys, show of hands, all of our campuses have seen one of these before? All right. How many of you ever played with one of these before? How many guys are nervous right now? You should be. You should be. Let me just issue a fair warning. If you sit on the first couple rows, you might get wet on this ride, okay? Just want to let you know. Imagine this scenario. Imagine you are an NFL place kicker, and there's only a few seconds left on the clock. Thousands of fans are cheering. Some are booing. Got people watching on TV, probably millions watching on TV. And it's your job to kick a little oblong ball into two poles with all those people watching. Imagine being in those shoes. I think of Andrew Harrison. You may not recognize that name. I do. He played for the University of Kentucky in 2015, basketball star, and he ended up going on to the NBA. But in 2015, he played in an Elite Eight game with a chance to go to the Final Four, playing against Notre Dame, and with just six seconds left on the clock, he was fouled, game's tied, and he goes to the free throw line. Now, Andrew Harrison had probably shot thousands of free throws during his career, but standing on that free throw line with thousands of people watching, millions more tuning in on TV, imagine what he was experiencing. Just hitting one of those shots could make or break the game. Imagine being this guy who's up on the screen. You may not recognize his picture, but this guy's name is Robert Redfield. He's the director for the Centers of, Di of Disease Control. And imagine being in his shoes every time there's a new outbreak or new virus that develops. Maybe there's a new strain of the flu that comes on the scene. Imagine being in his shoes, all the pressure as people turn to him, wanting answers, wanting a cure, wanting a vaccination, whatever. Imagine being in his shoes. See, what all of those guys have in common is what makes this water gun work. Pressure. And we all know about pressure, don't we? It's what we all have in common because all of us have faced pressure at some time or another. Now, this water gun, in order to release the pressure, it has a trigger. So all you have to do is pull it. I warned you. I warned you. All you have to do is pull it. I'll stop after that, I promise, okay? If you don't want to get wet, go to Stone Canyon. They didn't get wet out there. All you have to do is pull the trigger, and guess what? pressure's gone. You and me, we don't have a trigger. And so if we don't know how to deal with pressure and handle pressure, what happens over time is the pressure accumulates. It builds up. And eventually, it can be very destructive. See, pressure over time, pressure that builds up and accumulates, it leads to something that I like to call burnout. And burnout is a word that's used a lot in our culture today because all of us deal with pressure. And I don't know what pressure you're facing right now. Maybe it's growing responsibilities at your work, your place of employment. Maybe it's extra expectations that your boss has put on you. Maybe the pressure that you're facing today has to do with providing for your kids. You live from paycheck to paycheck and you're worried about having enough money to put food on the table or buy school supplies for your children. Maybe you're trying to keep your small business open, not just for your family's sake, but also for the sake of all your employees. Maybe the pressure you're facing today is school pressure. There are tests coming up, assignments that are due. It's getting to the close of another semester. So you're worried about all that stuff. Maybe you're facing social pressure right now. You've got a group of friends who are pressuring you to do some things you don't want to do to fit in with their crowd. And you know it's wrong, 
but it's what all your so-called friends are doing. Maybe the pressure you're facing right now is family dysfunction. Maybe the pressure you're facing right now is because you're dating someone who's pressuring you to cross a line that God doesn't want you to cross, but that pressure is constantly there. Maybe you're facing pressure today because you're taking care of an aging parent. Or maybe you're facing pressure today because there's some major change that's happening right now in your life or getting ready to happen. And all that causes stress. All that causes pressure. All that can weigh us down. And whatever the case may be for you today, if we're not careful and we let that pressure build up over time and we don't take care of it in a healthy way, it can crush us. It can destroy us. It can lean to burnout. If you're new today, we're in a series right now which we're calling Blind Spots. And in this series, we are looking at hidden, ignored, or overlooked obstacles that threaten to derail our relationship with Jesus or disrupt the calling he's placed on our lives. Spiritual blind spots are emotions, behaviors, and attitudes that creep up on us before we realize it. They're things we should have seen coming, but for some reason we don't. And then one day, surprise, it's who we've become. Things like negativity, compromise, and envy. No one plans on being negative. No one wants to be envious. But over time, we allow these things to creep into our lives, these attitudes, these behaviors, and eventually, they take control of us. And today, we're going to be looking at another one of these blind spots, and it's the blind spot, burnout. And for our purposes today, I'm defining burnout in this way. It's fatigue, frustration, or apathy due to pressure that accumulates over time. Fatigue, frustration, or apathy due to pressure that accumulates over time. And you can define pressure in whatever way you want to because there are a thousand different ways that we can define it. Maybe the pressure you're facing is something that's very stressful. Pressure can be stressful, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. You may just be receiving pressure today because of a tedious or repetitive task that you have to do over and over again. And it's not that it's stressful, it's just it gets old after a while and it sucks the joy out of your life. Maybe your pressure is some unrealistic expectation that someone has placed on you. Or maybe you're facing the ongoing weight of past failure. Pressure can be defined in a lot of different ways, but however you define it, we all face it. And the reason why we all face it is because we live in a fallen world. I once heard someone say, the world we live in is frustrating because the world we live in is fallen. I mean, you ever try to get ahead and you just try and you try and you try, but it seems like the harder you try, the more behind you get? Sometimes my life is kind of like this little boy in a video clip I found, if you want to go ahead and play it. He's having a hard time because he's trying to pick up these tennis balls and he has a tube that he's trying to put them in. And he goes over to pick up one tennis ball, puts it in there successfully, but then when he goes to pick up the next one, the first one falls out. So then he goes and tries, he picks up another one, and that one falls out. And this just keeps happening over and over again. He goes to pick up another one, and the one he already has in falls out over and over and over again. And you know, sometimes that's my life, or at least that's how I feel. I try and I try and I try to get ahead. But the more I try, the more frustrated I become. And when we allow the frustrations of life, the pressures of life to build up, they can crush us, control us. It leads to burnout physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And here's the thing. God knows this. God knows the current state of the world that we live in. God knows what's going on. And that's why Jesus said to a large crowd one day in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now I want you to notice a couple things about Jesus' words there. 
the first thing that I want you to notice is Jesus acknowledges we will have pressure in life. There are going to be things in life that are going to burden us. There are going to be things in life that are going to weigh us down. That's going to happen. But here's what Jesus says. Those things that burden us and weigh us down, they don't have to define us. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to add more to your plate. I didn't come so you, had to juggle, you would have to juggle more balls. I didn't come to add more stuff for you to do. I didn't come just to give you a bunch of religious practices that will bog you down even more. No, Jesus said he came to give us what? Rest. In other words, Jesus promises, steer your life toward him, and he'll give you the rest your soul desires. He'll give you the rest your heart desires. Jesus wants to replace what pressure is doing to your life with peace that passes understanding. And so the question that I want to ask you today is this. What's driving your life right now? Pressure or peace? Because honestly, I think I know the answer. I was reading a book this summer entitled Didn't See It Coming by Kerry Newhoff, Christian author, well-known Christian author, and he has a whole chapter in his book on burnout. And this was something that he experienced at one point in his life, and so he decided to go around the country and talk about the seriousness of burnout. And I want you to listen to something he writes in his book. He said, the first time I ever delivered a talk about my burnout experience, I prefaced it by saying, if you're in your 20s or 30s, this talk may not mean a lot to you. In fact, you may want to just squirrel it away, put it away, and maybe someday it could help you or a friend of yours. But I wasn't ready for the mass of 20-somethings who stood in line to talk to me after my presentation. Nearly all of them said, I'm feeling so much of what you just described too. I had no idea, Carrie writes. It's like burnout has become an epidemic. The more people I meet and the more I look around our culture, the more I think there may be many people suffering from burnout or what I might call low-grade burnout. By that I mean the joy of life is gone, but the functions of life continue. You're not dead, but you certainly, you're certainly not feeling fully alive. The symptoms are not enough to stop people in their tracks, but they're present enough to sap the meaning and wonder out of everyday life. You ever feel that way? I want to be transparent with you. I have. I've had seasons in my life where I have experienced what Carrie refers to as low-grade burnout. It's not that you feel dead, totally dead inside, but you don't feel fully alive either. You ever been there? You ever experienced full burnout, maybe more serious burnout? What's behind this epidemic? Why is it that so many of us have had this experience? Why is this happening? Why is this trend occurring? Well, I'm convinced it's because we, as a culture, we've totally disregarded the rhythm that God designed us to live. See, way back in the book of Exodus, God gave his people a law, a law to live by. And at the very beginning of giving that law, he presented ten key commandments. We call them the ten commandments for us to live by. Now, we understand that as New Testament Christians, they'll say by the grace of Jesus, we understand that those commandments don't save us. We get that. But still, this is how God wants us to live. God's letting us know, you want to live a full life? This is where it starts. And so God gives us these 10 key commandments and in the midst of telling us not to steal and not to murder and not to commit adultery and not to lie and to honor our father and mother, you know what else God includes? Exodus 20 verse 8. Remember 
the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now again, I understand we're living under the New Covenant, Jesus' New Testament, and so we're not bound by all the Old Testament Sabbath laws and regulations. I get that. I understand that. But that doesn't mean that the principle of Sabbath isn't still important, that it isn't valuable for us today. That word Sabbath, I know when we hear the word Sabbath, we think of like a religious experience or a religious day. I'll never forget watching the old Andy Griffith show, and as everybody would leave church, they would tell the preacher, good Sabbath, preacher, good Sabbath, over and over again. And so we really don't use that term a whole lot outside of religious context. But you know what the word Sabbath actually means? It just means to stop. What God here is saying is remember the stopping day. Because apparently, in God's rhythm for life, the rhythm that he established, what he expects us to do is to take a regular day to stop, to stop from our normal routine. And not just to stop to veg out. I mean, at times we all need to veg out, right? But that's not the point of the stopping day. The stopping day is for us to remember him. It's for us to focus on him. And by stopping that day and focusing on him, we are saying that we are trusting in his promises and his provision. See, woven into God's plan for life is taking intentional times for rest. That was part of his plan for our lives. And we see this even in the example that he gave us when he created the cosmos. Remember what God did? He created for six days. He worked for six days. And then what did God do on the seventh day? He rested. He gives us this as an example. And it's interesting to me, besides the fact that of all the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment that says, remember the Sabbath day, besides the fact that that's the longest commandment, I mean, there's more detail given about that commandment. It's spelled out clearly, more so than any other commandment that God gives in the Ten Commandments. Besides the fact that it's the longest commandment, which means it's probably important, it's also the only commandment that starts out with the word remember. It's as if that God knew that we would forget. We would forget to do what? To rest. And that's especially true for us today because we live in such a performance-based culture. See, a lot of times the reason why we don't rest is because we feel like we have to perform at this high level that if we stop, that we're going to get behind. And so what we end up doing is we place our trust in ourselves and we say, hey, I've just got to work hard and work hard and work hard in order to get ahead or in order to fit in with a certain social group. Hey, I've got to go here and go there and do this and be present with these people. And we just never stop thinking if we stop, that we might fall behind everyone else. And all that it says is we're trusting in ourselves rather than God. And that's why God says, remember, remember my plan. Part of the rhythm that God established for life was for us to rest. And there's this deceptive idea in our culture today that says our self-worth, our value, is determined by our performance. And so therefore, we can't stop because that might hurt our performance. And I feel this pressure. I feel this way. You may not think that I do because you think, well, he's a preacher and he just stands up one day a week and that's all he ever works. You've got to be kidding me. But anyway, if that's what you think, you've got to be kidding me. But I have heard people occasionally say that. Guys, I stand before over 1,000 people every single week and speak. I'm not trying to say woe is me because you all have pressure too. Some of your pressure is a lot more than mine. I'm not saying that. But that's a lot of pressure. And I feel that. I know I make it look easy. I'm kidding. But I know I make it look easy. But seriously, I feel your eyes looking at me. 
I, I know your ears are listening to every word I say. And let me tell you something. When I mess up up here, and I do, when I stumble over my words or I don't say a point just right or I skip over something I was supposed to say, it bothers me. Like it sticks with me. And I'm out at the hub shaking your hands and I'm thinking the whole time, I can't believe I messed that up. I can't believe I did that. You guys have already forgotten about it. You're thinking about where you're going to eat lunch. I know. But it bothers me. You know why? Because I feel like if I mess up too much, they won't like me. They won't listen to me. And I know that's foolish. But that's how our culture has wired us. I have to have my sermon, all my sermon stuff turned in by Thursday every single week because we have to turn into our tech team and our media team to get everything ready. And not only that, to our small group studies. But I also, on Thursday afternoon, I do a run-through of the entire message. I stand up here on this stage, a run-through of the entire message. So I have to have it all done by Thursday. And it is a mad rush from Sunday evening by the time I get home to Wednesday, basically. I have to have it done by Wednesday so I can do it Thursday. And every single Sunday evening, I have the same thought. I kid you not. I go home and I sit down in my chair and I think, I gotta do this all over again. That's what I think. And I think, I don't know what I'm gonna say next week. I told them everything I knew uh, today, you know. I don't know what else I'm gonna say to them. It's constant pressure. And what is, why do I think like that? Because burnout it's rooted in the fear of failure. It's one thing I've learned. I'm afraid to fail, so I gotta keep going, I gotta keep going because I might fail. And whatever pressure you're experiencing right now, it's probably the same for you. I gotta keep doing this, I gotta keep doing this, I can't stop, I can't rest, I can't pause because I might fail. And so we never stop. We just keep on going, pushing ourselves to the point of burnout, and then eventually we hit a wall and our lives come to a screeching halt. And this can happen to the best of us. It happened to some of the most spiritual men in the Bible. I think of a guy like Elijah. Elijah was known for being the greatest of the prophets. And if there was one word to describe Elijah's life and his ministry, it's the word incredible. God did some incredible stuff in Elijah's life. I mean, just think about it. God used Elijah to bring a widow's son back from the dead. He rose somebody from the grave. Not only that, Elijah was fed with ravens from heaven. God provided for Elijah in that way. God also used Elijah to part the Jordan River. How cool is that? And then probably, probably the highlight of Elijah's life when he's on Mount Carmel. Elijah prays, and guess what? God sends fire from heaven to light the altar to Yahweh to prove to the entire nation that God, Yahweh, is the one true and only God. I mean, how cool would it have been to experience all that? If there's a word to describe Elijah's life, it's the word incredible. God did some incredible things in his life. And yet, when we get to the end of Elijah's life, Listen to what Elijah says to God, 1 Kings 19, verse 4. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. See, Elijah, he hits a wall. He does all this awesome stuff for God, but all the pressure of being a prophet, all the pressure of serving God, all the pressure of life, it accumulated to the point that at the end of his life, Elijah says, God, I'm done. It's not just I don't want to serve you anymore. I don't want to live anymore. Elijah's pretty bad off. What about the Apostle Paul? Paul is probably the most influential man in the New Testament besides Jesus. He started dozens of churches. He wrote half of our New Testament. God did miracle after miracle through the Apostle Paul. 
The Apostle Paul is one of my heroes of the faith, and yet, at one point when he's traveling through Asia, listen to what he says about his journey. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. He writes, we were under great pressure. There's that word again. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Now, Paul got beyond that. He moved past that, but there was a moment in Paul's life where he despaired even of life because of all the pressure that he was experiencing. And so if great men of God like Elijah and Paul can burn out, so can you and me. And God knows that, and that's why God promises in Isaiah 48, verse 17, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go, if only you had paid attention to my commands, commands like Sabbath rest, if only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. See, what God wants to do is take what pressure is doing to our lives because we live in this performance-driven culture and replace it with peace, with peace that passes understanding. And so let me ask you again, I asked this question before, what's driving your life right now? Pressure or peace? And I think what we need to do as a church today is conduct some self-examination to see if pressure is getting the best of us, to see if we're on the verge of burning out or maybe we're already burning out. And so in order for us to figure that out, let me ask you some questions. And the first question that I want to ask is this, do you regularly overreact or underreact? Because if you do either, that might be a sign that pressure's getting to you, that you're on the verge of burning out. Maybe you're already there. See, over time, what pressure does is it messes with our hearts and our emotions, and it throws us all out of kilter. In Romans 12, verse 15, the Bible says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. In other words, what that passage lets us know is that God designed us to celebrate when other people are celebrating and to mourn when other people are mourning. And if you're not doing that, if you're doing the opposite of that, then your emotions may be all out of whack. See, it's not that burned out people don't experience emotion. They do. It's not that they lack emotions. It's just that their emotions aren't right. They treat small things like big things and big things like small things. And whenever this starts to happen, it's a sign that something deeper is wrong. I mean, if you're in the habit of snapping at someone regularly, especially over minor stuff, you might need to take a break. It may be a sign that pressure is getting the best of you. If you're someone who's constantly rude to people who are nice to you, that might be a sign that you need to rest, you need to take a break, that pressure is getting the best of you. I have a friend that I called the other day and I talked to him regularly on the phone and I called him up and I just asked, well, how are things going in your church? It's the only thing I said was, how are things going in your church? And he immediately snapped at me and I knew right then something was wrong. He'd have to tell me, I just knew. If something like, well, why do you ask me that? He just immediately snapped at me and I said, okay, what's wrong? Let's talk, what's going on? And then he began just to vent and vent and vent. See, that's what happens. When pressure gets the best of us, we start to overreact to things and we snap at people when we shouldn't. I have another friend who often says, if you're short with people, that short fuse probably needs to be replaced with a long nap. And I think there's some wisdom to that. I really do. Now, we can also go in the other direction. 
If you're underreacting to things in life, that can also be a problem and a sign that you're on the verge of burning out. I mean, if there's some really big issues in life that you're facing and dealing with, and you're just kind of like, well, I don't care. Doesn't matter. There's nothing I can do to change the situation. Oh, well. If you're underreacting to things in life, that also could be the sign that there is a deeper problem. Because when your emotions are skewed, it might be a sign that pressure is starting to get the best of you. So let me ask, do you regularly overreact or underreact? The second question that I want to ask is this, is your activity increasing but your satisfaction decreasing? See, are you trying to do more and more in order to find more self-worth and value, but the more you do, the more you feel empty? We are masters in the culture that we live in today at trying to squeeze as much activity we have into every single minute that we have. And we have this false idea that if we're busy, that that's a good thing. If we're busy, then that means it will eventually lead to happiness. But that's not true. I mean, let me just ask, have you ever had one of those situations where somebody walked up to you and asked you what you did during that day? And really, you didn't do a whole lot of exciting stuff, and so maybe you just sit behind a desk all day, or maybe it's just, you know, an average day, but you feel the need to create more detail to make that person think that you've been busier than what you actually have been? Why do we do that? We've all done it. It's because we have this false idea. We've bought into this false idea that busyness means that you're important, and that when you're busy, it means it eventually will lead to happiness. I read a study the other day that said the average American sleeps less than five hours a night. If you've got little kids like me, it's less than that. But the average American sleeps less than five hours a night. When we all know, studies show is that we need at least eight hours of sleep to be fully rested. But did you know that before the invention of the light bulb, the average American slept nine to ten hours a night? Well, we have this great invention that's going to help us out, and it has. I like having lights, <laughs> but what do we do with it? Oh, it's more time to cram more stuff in, so we don't have to go to bed when the sun goes down. There's an old adage that says, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. And again, I think there's some wisdom there too, because busyness distracts us from what we're really missing. See, God has given us this wonderful gift of life. And God wants us to live full, satisfied, complete, content lives. That's why he created us. But yet most of our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, we go through seasons where we feel really empty. Like there's nothing going on. And so what we try to do is we try to fill our lives with the good things that God has provided for us. We try to fill our lives with things like family because family is a good thing and God wants us to invest in our families and spend time with our families. We try to fill our lives with work because, you know, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. I mean, you can find fulfillment in your job and your work and most of us want that. Don't we all want to work at places where we feel fulfilled and satisfied, do things that make us feel fulfilled and satisfied? Or maybe we try to fill our lives with hobbies and recreation because God wants us to enjoy life, and he does. He created us to enjoy life, so we try to fill our lives with things like recreation, hobbies. Or maybe we try to fill our lives with friendships because we know God wants us to do life with people, so we try to fill our lives with all this stuff because right now when we look at our lives, we're pretty empty, so we say, hey, I'm going to start filling up my life with family time. And I'm going to hope that spending time with my family fills me up, and it might for a little while 
but eventually we feel empty again, so we say, hey, I'm going to pour myself into my job and into my work. And so hopefully by working harder, then maybe I will feel satisfied and content. I don't feel like I'm living a full life, but that doesn't work. So then we try to fill our lives with hobbies and different types of recreation, hoping that, hey, these things will give me satisfaction, you know? If I go camping or go hunting or fishing or if I scrapbook, all that good stuff, it will bring me satisfaction. And that doesn't work, so we say, hey, I just need more friends. And so we fill our lives with all these relationships, hoping that those things will bring us contentment and joy. And so we fill our lives with all this stuff, thinking that eventually we'll feel full and we'll feel complete, just like God wants us to. But the problem is, eventually all that stuff passes, and we end up feeling empty again. And we think, what happened? I thought I was filling my life with this stuff, but now I feel pretty empty. You probably picked up on it. There are holes in the bottom of this bucket. And if you're going to carry water in a bucket, you can't have holes in it. It doesn't make any sense. See, this bucket represents the structure that God has given us for life. And the way that God designed us to live is to do life with Him. He is the foundation of our life. He is supposed to be interwoven into every aspect of our life. And so if there are holes in our relationship with Him, if our relationship with Him isn't right, it doesn't matter how much you pour into your life, you're going to end up feeling empty in the end. If the structure of your life, if the foundation of your life has holes in it, you're going to end up feeling empty in the end. All this stuff is good and it's meant to fill us up. But it doesn't matter how much family time you spend, how much work you do, how much time you spend doing recreation and carrying out your hobbies. It doesn't matter how much time you spend with friends. If there's holes in your relationship with God, if you're not doing life with Him the way you should, you're just going to end up feeling empty. Like so many people in the world that we live in. So what do we have to do? We've got to fix the holes. And that's why in Psalm 127, verse 2, it says, It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for it's God who gives rest to his loved ones. What the psalmist here is saying is, hey, you, you're working harder and harder and harder, trying to feel full, but in the end, it's those who are living in the love of God who find true rest. The third question that I want to ask you today is this. Do you feel more and more alone? See, when pressure gets to us, we're often deceived into thinking that we're completely and totally on our own. Pressure has a way of convincing us that we're the only ones who have ever dealt with the stress or the situation that we're currently experiencing. But I can promise you, whatever you're facing today, whatever you're dealing with today, in a church our size, there is someone else who has faced something similar. I guarantee it. And right now, if you're thinking, well, hey, I'm the only one here who's running on fumes, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Most of us at all of our campuses today are running on fumes. Even with that extra hour of sleep last night, we're still running on fumes. I thought it was interesting. We got an extra hour, and still, my wife and family, they were late to church this morning. I'm not calling them out or anything, but it happened. And I'm right there with you. I can pick on them, I can pick on you, but I'm going to pick on myself as well. We're all experiencing that, aren't we? 
See, no matter what pressure you're facing today, we just want to let you know something. You are not alone. And guys, that's why the church exists. That's why the church is here. If you've ever been to a gym, you've probably seen people lifting weights, bench pressing. And if you've seen people lifting weights, then you've probably also noticed that normally when somebody's lifting, there is someone who stands behind them, like in the picture behind me up on the screen. That person that stands behind the person lifting, they're called a spotter. And a spotter's job is to make sure that the person lifting weights hasn't put too much weight on their bar. Because if you have too much weight on your bar, then you can get trapped. And it can be very dangerous. You can really hurt yourself trying to get the bar off of you on your own. And so a spotter stands behind you so that if the weight is too much for you, then the spotter can help you lift that weight off your chest. And I believe that's why the church is here. We are here to be spotters for one another. We are here to be spotters for people throughout northeast Oklahoma. Because right now there are people in our neighborhoods, people at your place of work, people on the team that you play on, people in your school who are carrying a weight that's too much for them to handle. And so we're supposed to be their spotters. You know why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. In Galatians 6 verse 2, it says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. See, just as Jesus carried us, we are to carry one another. That's why the church is here. But I wonder if we're really doing that or if that's just a nice idea that we talk about. I, I came or somebody introduced me to a study just a couple weeks ago that talked about church attendance. And in this study, it stated, this was recently done, that the average church attender attends church 1.7 times a month. Now, these aren't unchurched people. The person who claims to regularly attend church, that average is 1.7 times a month, not even half. Guys, honestly, if we really are carrying one another's burdens, that number would be a lot higher. You know why? Because people wouldn't want to miss what we're offering here. Because we're offering something they can't find anywhere else in this world. The reason why I'm part of the church is not because I'm on staff here. I'm on staff here because I feel like it's what God wants me to do. But even if I didn't have the gifts and abilities that I have, I would be part of the church. You know why? Because I need it. Because I've been at that point where I've experienced low-grade burnout. I know what it's like to receive pressure. I've had a ton of weight on me before, and you have too. And what's gotten me through those times has been the body of Christ. I need the church. And even if I wasn't on staff, I would be in a church every single Sunday. Every time it met, I would be faithful. Because a lot of times we see going to church as a command. It's a command that we're obligated to obey. I don't see it that way. It's something I want to do. Because it's something that I need. And I believe that when we are carrying one another's burdens, as the Bible tells us to do, we won't have to invite people near as much. Not that we should stop, but people will want to be a part of what we're doing here because they want for the weights that they're carrying to be lifted from them. And so today, I just want to talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. If you're feeling pressure, if you feel like pressure is getting to you, let me say a couple things to you. First of all, I love you. And we as a church, we love you, and we're here for you, and you are not alone. 
Today, if you're on the edge of burning, the verge of burning out, or maybe you're already burning out, I just want to let you know I love you, we love you, and our church as a whole, we're here for you, and we want to help you out any way you can. And so because I love you, let me give you some advice if you feel like this is where you might be today. The first piece of advice quickly is this. Practice satisfaction by elimination. In other words, get rid of all the extra stuff in your life that you don't really need right now because I guarantee there's a lot of it. The stuff that's bogging you down, sometimes it might be sinful stuff and sometimes it's not. Sometimes what bogs, bogs us down is good stuff, but there's just too much of it and we're stretched too thin. One of the most freeing things that I ever did was learn to say no. See, in ministry, a lot of people want your time. And so when I first started in preaching ministry, I wanted to give everybody my time. And so if anybody asked me to do anything, I said yes, because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And then I realized something. I realized I was neglecting my own spiritual life and development. I started to neglect my wife, Allison. I started to neglect my son, Alex. Addie hadn't been born yet. And I remember thinking, I'm neglecting my family, I'm, I'm neglecting my own spiritual life, because I never say no to anybody. So eventually I got to the point where I had to learn, I've got to say no at times, even to the good stuff, even to the good invitations of things that people want me to do. And I remember talking to another church leader about this, and this church leader looked at me and said, well, that's just ministry, you need to get over it. And I thought, what good am I to the church if I burn out? And that's why I love this place. Because we are at First Church, we get that. We understand that. Just the other day, there was a group in our church that asked my family to attend something that they were doing. And really, they said, even if your family can't come, we just want you to come. And I looked at this person, I said, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be able to come. And they asked me why. I said, well, as much as I would love to be there, I said, I've already promised my family I would do something with them. We're going somewhere, I, especially Alex. I promised him that we would do this thing. And I thought for a moment about making a better excuse than that. Not that it was an excuse, it was the truth, but I thought, I need to come up with a better thing than that because they're not going to accept that. And this person who invited me said, we get that. You go spend time with your family. That's why I love this church because it's a healthy environment in order for, and we encourage people to take rest like that. So get rid of the stuff that's keeping you from God. Even if it's good stuff, Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The second piece of advice I want to give you is remember God is in control. If you think you have to keep going at the pace you're going at even though it's killing you, stop and trust God. We need to constantly remember that He is God and we are not. I tell myself that all the time. God, you are God and I am not. And we all suffer from a God complex on occasion. And if you feel like you have to keep going and keep going and keep going just to stay ahead, maybe what you need to do is stop. Because taking a weekly day to check out and to focus on Him, that is a sign that you trust Him. In Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Notice Jesus doesn't say he'll give you everything you want, but you seek him first, you put him first, he will give you everything you need. So remember that God is God and you are not. Give him control, trust him, and then lastly, be intentional about rest. If God put it in his plan for us to take regular times to rest, then we need to do just that. But here's the thing. Those times of rest are not just for us to veg out. I mentioned that earlier. 
We're to use those moments to focus on him and to place our trust, renew our trust in his promises and his provision. That's why Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. We all need moments where we are just still and we check out from our daily routine to remember God. And honestly, I think choosing to meet together with the church, breaking your pattern and coming together with the church to get refreshed and renewed and energized, it's a sign of trust, that you're trusting in God because you know He's what's going to feed you. He is going to nourish you. See, we need to distance ourselves each week from our own personal activities and agendas so we can see what God is doing and wants to do in our lives. So let me just say, if you're feeling pressure today, if you're on the verge of burning out, maybe you already feel like you are burning out. We love you and we're here for you and we want to help you any way that we possibly can. And so if you would, if you feel like you're experiencing anything that I talked about today, seek out one of our staff members, meet us out at the hub today, because we want to help you out no matter how serious your situation may be. We want to help you out. Because we serve a Lord who said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Let Jesus replace what pressure is doing to your life today with peace that passes all understanding. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for today and this time we've had to meet together as your people in this place. And Father, I just pray that we will seek your peace, that we will find the rest that your Son is offering us. We don't have to keep up with the pace of this world. In fact, you want us to follow a different rhythm for life. And it's a rhythm of life where we take intentional times of rest. And not just rest to veg out, but rest to remember who you are and to place our trust, renew our trust in your promises and in your provision. So Father, may burnout not get the best of us, but may we be a people who allow your peace to replace what pressure is doing to us. In the name of Jesus I pray, amen.